If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by visiting chriscarl.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to both Patreon and PayPal, where you can make donations. Any and all support is massively appreciated and a huge thank you to everyone that has supported thus far. trying my absolute best to have more and more British photographers come on because I do think especially when it comes to portraiture there is a British flavor to portraiture that kind of gets ignored in favor of as everything is now culturally everything kind of comes from the west of America and and everyone else adopts it and I think Britain and England South England especially has its own flavor portraiture and we'll get to that but to start off with we always do the same thing I need to find out why it is that you picked up a camera what made you want to become a photographer I suppose like a lot of people, it sort of dates back to when Instagram was blowing up. I think it was around 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, I actually didn't have an iPhone and it was an iPhone only app at the time. Um, and my brother had one. So I like sort of begged him to download Instagram to his phone because I actually wanted the um, the Instagram original filters. Right. Um, that Looking back and now awful. Um, <laughs> but I just really wanted to apply these filters to my photos because I'd seen... So I'm knocking about somewhere, I think on Tumblr or something. Um, and I just really want to give it a go. So I sort of like borrowed his phone for a week and just shot like, I think the first thing I shot was a Starbucks cup. It was just like Tumblr classic, <laughs> just branding. It was horrendous. So I was just shooting like snapbacks I owned and just classic shite basically. And uh, yeah, from there. So I, I obviously ended up getting my own iPhone and I was I was really only posting sort of like things I'd bought and kind of like what the normal person would do on Instagram now still, you know, like their holiday snaps or like just stuff they've bought, nothing crazy. Um, but I did, I definitely did care how it looks still. Um, I was applying filters to all my photos and I thought I had like, I was at least keeping a look, you know. Um, so I was actually quite into streetwear at the same time. and streetwear and grime and hip hop, I guess they all sort of grew up together. Um, so yeah, so I kept shooting just stuff like that really on my phone. And then one day I discovered the the Visco cam filters for mobile. Right. And I remember things just started looking better and better. I don't know if I was getting any better or just the filters were really nice. Um, but I was actually, I was a postman at the time. And I specifically remember I was I was on my round one morning and it was super early and that really nice morning light was cutting through this field with some fog on it. And there were just these like three Shetland ponies. And I just, I literally just whipped my phone out and took a photo of it and um, applied to filter to it when I got home later. And I was like, damn, that's actually like a really nice photograph. And I think I've still got that photo somewhere actually because it's like, it feels to me like the first photo I took with intent almost. Right. So, yeah, I mean, after that, I think I sort of fully decided that I might want to try photography and started doing some research. And basically everyone said to just like get a basic DSLR just so you can learn all the settings, which is pretty classic advice. Um, And I picked up, I think it was a Nikon D3200 and just took a load of absolutely awful photographs. Um, (laughs) my, My partner at the time was living in London. And uh, I was just shooting everything. Like I'd meet her at the tube. I'd take a photo of her. 
then we'd go into Leicester Square like to watch a film or something and I'd just like start doing long exposures of night shots like all absolutely terrible but I was just trying to do like everything and then weirdly enough yeah portraiture didn't stand out at all for ages so after this camera I got I picked up a little Fuji X100 because I didn't want to be lugging this DSLR around everywhere um, and I took it with me on a trip to Amsterdam and I was just really enjoying just doing sort of like street I guess street photography um, and I was just putting the film simulations on it and I still had this sort of like underlying like I liked film filters, but I still didn't really know why. Uh, they're all just replicating film, but at the time I had no clue. Um, so yeah, I was shooting around Amsterdam and then I literally just Googled uh, sort of like photography exhibitions that were going on just in case there were any while we were there. And uh, there was one at this um, photo museum, I think it's called Hugh Marseille in Amsterdam. And they were doing a Stephen Shaw retrospective and we really just like on a limb just went out and just checked it out sort of thing. And to this day, like nothing's really had that impact on me. I remember I didn't take a single photo in there. I was just like having my mind blown for like half an hour. And then I remember like stepping out the front door and it's just like everything just sort of slotted into place. Like I knew I definitely wanted to be taking photos and that things like that were achievable. Like his work was absolutely incredible. And I remember just for that weekend, I just wouldn't stop shooting photos on this little camera. And then the second the plane touched down in England, I immediately ordered Stephen Shaw's book, uh, Uncommon Places, and just read it cover to cover. And yeah, so after that, I think I'd sort of like fully invested in photography as a hobby sort of thing. And a friend of mine who's a videographer was looking to get rid of a uh, like a Canon 60, which would have been my first full frame. And I'd sort of like bit his arm off and yeah, got that off him. And I remember I literally just went out in my back garden and took some photos of some shoes I just bought as a, like a test sort of thing. And I was like, Oh my God, like <laughs> the leap to full frame was just outrageous. I was like, this is what I've been looking for. So, um, yeah. And then I started, so I was always into like streetwear and I got really into cars around this point. Uh, like the modified car scene in the UK and cars are obviously a really easy thing to photograph because they're not going anywhere. They're just all parked up at a show. So I, uh, I just got this new camera and I, I set up this page on Facebook, like many teenagers do, um, taking photos <laughs> of cars. So I did that for about a year, I think. Um, and it was good fun, but it sort of just started to get really boring. Like I was, I was getting nothing out of it really at the end of it. I just got like a cheers mate on Instagram for a guy whose car I'd photographed. Um, so I was sort of looking for some more, but I didn't, uh, something more, but I didn't really know what. So I was in this streetwear group called The Basement, um, which is like absolutely huge. Now. And there was some, there was this kid and his mate and they were like, oh, we need someone to take photos of us for Instagram um, because at this, this sort of time uh, fit pics were taken off which is like all these streetwear kids that are buying Supreme and they desperately need to upload photos quickly because like the hype only lasts you know like a couple of weeks right so they're like reaching out seeing if any photographers near Reading um, could like shoot the new stuff they'd bought basically and I was like super I remember being like super tentative about it I wasn't I just didn't feel confident enough myself. Like I'd only shot some like life, you know, like street stuff, my friends and like 
cars for the last year. And I just thought, God, people seems like a real step, you know, and they're going to be like expecting me to come through with this. Um, but yeah, I literally just said, yeah, do you know what? Let's do it. And we met up that weekend and I shot loads of photos of them both. And it worked both ways because they were having content for their Instagram. And so was I. And the circles was quite similar. Like if people were into streetwear, then like they liked the streetwear photos, like the good quality streetwear photos. So we were sort of helping each other out. And uh, this went back and forth for like six months or something. And it's sort of like, I I had to make like quite a big life decision at the time. I was getting really sick of being a postman. I'd been there like five years and I was like, this stuff I'm doing on the side is like way more interesting to me. And I'd really like to sort of like give something else a go. So I just dropped out of my job and actually started studying graphic design at university. Cause I didn't feel, I didn't feel like, um, I didn't feel good enough in photography to be doing a photography degree. And I, but I also felt like I'd probably picked up some bad traits because graphic design was like a clean slate and they were still sort of related. Right. Yeah. I picked that up and it was like a online degree, which I'm still actually doing now, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, the other thing about photography is that from friends and stuff, I knew that I didn't really want to become like the commercial photographer. Um, I shot a few events and property and stuff like that. And I was just like, I knew immediately that it wasn't really for me. I was sort of looking for something just a bit different, I guess. So, so yeah. And as I sort of quit my job and stuff, I actually moved, ended up moving to Finland uh, because my, my ex was Finnish and uh, we lived in Helsinki and I sort of like tried to do exactly what I'd done in England. Cause like things had just started going quite well for me in England, like portraiture wise, you know, people, I was getting feedback, um, in this Facebook group and people wanted to shoot with me and I was getting DMS quite regularly. So I was trying to just sort of like establish myself again in this new city. And I found basically their equivalent of the basement in Finland. And the post I did basically said, I'm moving there like massively blew up. And I actually ended up meeting a guy, uh, who's a really good friend of mine now called Besnik. And he needed some shots because he was doing a sneaker event uh, in Helsinki and they were making some merchandise for it. And he just needed some like portraits of people wearing it basically. So I jumped on it as like the first chance in the country sort of thing. And yeah, it just sort of snowballed from there. Like I was still, from this point, I was like pretty much a hundred percent shooting portraits. And I knew that I really liked the stuff that was, um, sort of like almost one-on-one or like for like a promotional reason, not like um, say like, you know, music photographers go and shoot live music. Yeah. I knew I definitely didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to like take my time. So yeah, it kind of all slotted into place then. And Finland ended up like not working out um, for a number of different reasons, but I think it, it was like really good for my confidence and it sort of like solidified me as a portrait photographer, I guess. Um, yeah, it just all sort of fell into place after that. And yeah, I mean, after that, I was going to say like it led to me shooting film, but I guess that might be for another question. Well, we'll, we'll get to film. We'll get to film in time. But I mean, you mentioned there that a lot of people, when they're coming into photography, 
they have, um, I suppose, portrait photography or just photographing people in general has a bit of a stigma. I think some people are afraid of it. Some people are just completely disinterested in it for whatever reason. And one of the things that I encounter an awful lot, I photograph weddings and I photograph portraits. And pretty much those are the two subjects that seem to get the most winces um, when you tell people that you photograph. What is it actually about photographing people in terms of like, is it the process or is it the result that you most enjoy? It's a great question. I think it's definitely a smidgen of both. Um, one of the things that I really didn't expect was um, meeting new people. I mean, it's quite a small part of it really, but I'm definitely a massive introvert. And I think that's why that first encounter was such a huge step for me. Because so I was like, I'm gonna have to, for one, I'm going to have to meet new people, let alone like make them look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do love the end result. But at the same time, like the process can be super enjoyable. Um, if they're like, if they're really open to like letting their guard down. And even if they're just a lovely person, like I've done shoots that are just like super regular. The shots didn't blow me away, but like the person I photographed just made me, was so accommodating, you know, and it like really resonates with me later on. So the style that you've ended up with where you are now, because we're never really kind of done. We're always, you know, every time I talk to someone on the podcast, they're just kind of at that point in their journey. No one's ever kind of at the end. The style you've ended up with is an amalgamation of, you know, that's starting off with Instagram and finding those filters interesting and Tumblr and, and working your way through. And, and obviously, like, like you said, film became a big part of it and we will get there. But in terms of your style as a photographer, the way you are when you're with a subject, what's your directorial style like? Is it basically just a characterization of your personality? So for example, myself, I'm not someone that's very like hyped up and hyper energetic all the time. So if I do put that on on a shoot, I think people read it straight away as being sarcastic. So I've had to learn to be positive, but in the way that suits my personality normally. Otherwise, I think it stands out. So what's your directorial style when it comes to working with people? I'm actually really similar to you, to be fair. Um, I've been, I've seen shoots and stuff like there's a really popular YouTuber. I can't remember her name, um, but she's just like, to me, it's like horrific. She's literally just like barking <laughs> commands at people and like, it's just too much. Like it might work in some situations. I imagine if you're like shooting high fashion, you know, and there's like the stakes are really high. You're shooting like a Vogue cover or something and like the artist or model can't be asked. Like you're obviously going to have to pull them out of their shell one way or another. But to me, I actually, to be fair, that's something I still really struggle with, um, with like directing. Cause sometimes there's poses where this happened quite recently, actually on, on a shoot I did, uh, back in September ish. Uh, the, uh, the artist I was shooting, they weren't like, they felt kind of uncomfortable about something I told them to do. And it was funny because it, it ended up being like the photo that got used in the end. Um, like right. both the clients used that as like the front photo. And I was quite out of my comfort zone getting them to do it. But at some point, like I'm crouching down there looking through my viewfinder and like, I know what I see looks good. You know, like I guess that comes after a, a certain amount of time of photographing, but that trust is like super important. I think as long as the trust there, you know, like they'll, they'll be able to like, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with it, but <laughs> well, no, tr- trust is an important part because it's not a two way street in terms of who has the majority of the power. 
And also people yeah. that want to be pho- people that want to be photographed generally are people that are usually good at being the center of attention or usually good at having attention thrown at them. Whereas on a photo shoot, they don't see what you see as you're taking stuff. So they have to rely on you as as like the interpreter of their representation. It's it's a really bizarre dynamic that I'm sure someone that's actually got an IQ above their shoe size could probably break down in quite an interesting way as the psychology works because really everyone thinks that and I think a lot of photographers think that the power dynamic is all on the subject and the subject carries so much power but in actual fact it's surprising how much vulnerability there is to being photographed and and I think anyone that's ever spent much time in front of a camera and they don't enjoy it would probably understand how that feels but that is something that that even you know agency models can feel if they don't feel like they can trust the person taking the picture or they don't feel connected in the right way to that person it can be a real issue yeah absolutely yeah and i think it's something that shows up in photos as well more than people think people people's hands tend to act differently their jawline tends to act differently if they're uncomfortable or if they're pissed off or whatever so it's something that actually needs to be managed really carefully it's a, it's a much bigger part of it than um what the majority of questions that portrait photographers get about their work which is like what camera what aperture what lens Whereas actually, you know, your interaction with that subject is way more important. Yeah. What's for you, what's the, um, what's like the ideal subject like in terms of how they are with you? Are they, are they hyped up or are they on your energy level? You know, what's, cause like one thing that you would think is really enjoyable, but for me is I get quite put off when someone has like too many ideas and they want to try too many things out. Cause I feel like I don't ever get into a rhythm because I'm always just kind of ticking boxes for them. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I've had shoots where people are quite calm and collected, I guess, which is how I describe myself. Um, and it's been really nice. Um, but I've also had people that just sort of like completely open up and give me everything, which is also really nice. Like I quite like the hype up. Uh, the, the only time that hasn't worked in my favor has been, um, I've had a few shoots with some sort of like, Instagram influencers. So they haven't come from like a modeling background and they're not a music artist. They're this sort of weird amalgamation. And <laughs> I mean, all it really resulted in was the fact they were changing poses every two seconds. Uh, and it was more of just a lack of communication about like what shooting on films like, as opposed to, right. like, you know, it, it wasn't their fault at all. But um, I feel like the industry sort of has mostly pushed that sort of a lot. People have come to expect that, you know, they're like, always want these like fluid, um, almost candid looking photographs. And like, I, I totally get it. Like it's a vibe, you know, like on, on Boohoo or some sort of like Love Island promo. I'm sure that looks cool, but like, it's not a tool I'm going for. Um, I'm definitely a lot more of like a, I mean, films help with this for sure. But like if I've only got 20 or 30 photos to take, um, unfortunately I'm going to make them the way I want. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. When it comes to that, like the Instagram side of things, the, the influencer, my previous podcast guest, Peter Coulson, calls them influencers, which I think is pretty accurate. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to that, do you feel like the problem can be that people don't pay attention to what it is that you do and they don't look at your style hard enough and that you're almost just seen as a guy with a camera? Yeah, That's certainly absolutely. something I've encountered before where people just kind of disregard what my style is and think that, they can just kind of creatively direct me to do whatever they want. And, you know, obviously you bring something to the table, so that should be appreciated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, especially if I was fine, like 
if we're doing like time for time and we're literally just helping each other out, there's no money. Like the least you can do is like just flick from my Instagram a little bit. So you know what to expect, you know? Um, but actually on like one of those shoots, um, one of them didn't post any of my photos and I'm pretty sure they removed my tag anyway. So it was like <laughs> only, we were basically only doing it for like the agency. Um, which is fine. Like, I don't take it to heart or anything, but like I do try and capture people in the best light or in the most natural light possible, you know? And, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird one, but I think, I think that's a whole deeper issue about social media, to be honest. Yeah. And I, the first sort of 70 episodes of the podcast was basically an angry old guy trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with social media. So <laughs> I probably shouldn't drag that out for people anymore. <laughs> one, one thing you brought up earlier was this sort of connection you had to the music scene, the fashion scene that you photograph, you were already a part of it. It wasn't like you were a photographer that tried to work your way in from the outside. You were already within that community. And how much do you feel like that connection to the culture has actually helped you like grab the essence of it in the photos that you take? I'd say that's an absolutely huge part of it, like nearing probably 90%. Um, like so much of my inspiration like even came from that avenue. Um, it was just streetwear in general was blowing up and just a million folk, like photographers came out of nowhere and they would just go into like all these drops in the middle of London and just shooting all the latest stuff like in like Soho and the surrounding areas. And I was just like, it, it just really appealed to me. It was just the coolest looking scene I'd seen, especially in England at least. And uh, I just really wanted to be a part of it. And uh, yeah, I'd think music wise, admittedly, like, cause I don't live in London. It's been really hard. Um, and I haven't really like gone down the music avenue. I've actually tried to, um, so I, I made a conscious decision to kind of like, I shot loads of models um, to get my portfolio up to a certain level. And then I was hoping to sort of like sidestep into shooting artists, which has sort of just started happening over the last year or so. Um, because that's kind of always where I want to end up. Uh, I'm actually on, sometimes I'm on shoots with models and they're like, they really kindly invite me to like London fashion week or just say like, Oh, you do really well if you just like turned up to fashion week one day. And, um, I remember someone having that conversation with me and it actually sort of like put something under, uh, the limelight they like some put something that I hadn't thought about before in my head and I was like right god if that's the end goal like I actually don't want it like, I don't I don't really agree with high fashion it's completely different to streetwear it's appealing to a completely different audience and like there's so many beauty standards and stuff attached to it that I just fully don't agree with and I just imagine myself at fashion week with this massive film camera and I was like shit no that that's not the avenue I want at all and I think from then I started look like really keeping my eyes open for like um, upcoming uh, grime artists and stuff or like even around my local area and uh, just to see where it went sort of thing. Because uh, it's definitely the direction I'd rather go. Well, if I can jump in there, you, I mean, you've mentioned like the, the beauty standards and that of higher fashion. What's what's the issue there then for you? Um, I just think like it's the, the, the motive's completely wrong, you know. Um, for For one, there's like the whole sustainability issue, which you know, that's a whole thing on its own, but like the whole fast fashion thing, like it's funny cause I was back in Finland. Um, I was working at Zara part time and, uh, it was like, it blew my mind because every Thursday they'd completely switch the stock. Like the entire shop would change. And I was like, I never knew this was going on. I was like, 
what do you mean? Like people are buying this many clothes every week that you need to like restock the shop. And they were like, yeah, this is literally how it goes. And I was like, holy shit. Like this is way worse than I imagine. Like how many clothes are people buying? And it just sort of relates to the same thing. You know, it just trickles down and like fashion is responsible. Um, You know, like all the high fashion brands, they'll go out, they'll do the runways and just put out this like ridiculously unachievable look for most people. And then, yeah, now it just, you know, it just gets worse and worse because obviously now with social media, it's just another avenue that people can look at and be like, oh, I need to look like this person. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's just so false. And I don't really, even the money side of the whole fashion industry just seems sort of like wrong. I almost, I see it in the same light as like football players. It's just like so overhyped for no real reason. And I just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to be like attached to it or like feed into it almost. So it's kind of like it's an arms race in terms of, because one thing I do think at the moment, um, social media somewhat being involved and not to go back to me being an old guy trying to figure out what's going on with social media. But one thing I do feel like social media has done is it's created this need for people to appear of a higher financial status than what they are. No matter how high a financial status they are, they have to appear higher. And it becomes an arms race of who can who can kind of put themselves in that bracket above to people that don't even really matter. Um, and who who like you've got to convince as many people as possible that you're doing better than what you are, and you end up actually going down a bracket because you're trying to show yourself going up a bracket, and you're having to spend so much money chasing that appearance. And I feel like that's somewhere that's like you mentioned sustainability. I don't see that being something that's going to be particularly good for people over the course of say 15 years which obviously Instagram I don't think is even 15 years old at this point so like in in like I know that nowadays we feel like three months is a long time but when you actually look at it you know if if you take a 15 year sample of Instagram it'll be interesting to see how much financial damage has been done to individuals just trying to look like they're living above the means that they actually are yeah absolutely I mean I think one really sad thing is how much I see it sort of um, impact women in particular because uh, my sister's in her early 20s and she's always chasing these like really high value items and I mean all that happens at the end of it is that she gets a, an Instagram post that pops off a little bit and then that's kind of it and then you're left with like you know the financial burden that it instilled and it's like is it all worth it but it's just mad because this is happening to like young women across the entire country and i just think like it's it's just not beneficial at all you know it's just like feeding the there's a there's enough going on already you know like mental health wise and uh yeah so i guess that's what it boils down to i just mostly disagree with like most high-end fashion i guess but it is a weird one because like on the contrary, if if Vogue rang me up and said, James, I want you to shoot the cover, I'm obviously still going to say yeah, because unfortunately that's just so highly regarded in like the photography sp- sphere, you know. I wouldn't be able to say no, but like, so yeah, I don't know if I can sit here and be like, uh, but you know, fa- I mean, as a rule of thumb, like f- fashion week and proper high-end fashion, like I just... It's not for me, basically, photography-wise. Well, one thing that I find with yourself, and you remind me of a previous guest, uh, Sophia Carey, that we had on about, it feels like about 50 episodes ago at this point, 
So there's definitely like a, a South of England in particular, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but there is like a personality to portraits and to fashion shots, just pictures of people in general that are taken in the South of England. There's definitely a personality to it. There's almost like an accent to it. And um, I don't know whether that comes down to like the weather in a lot of cases, because if you shoot outside in England, you've got about three days to make it look like California, otherwise it's going to look like England. <laughs> and when it comes to faces in England, I mean, we're obviously an unbelievably diverse country, especially at the bottom end. The There's definitely a British expression. So regardless of someone's background, you know, someone's hairstyle, whatever, you could still look British regardless, mostly because of that kind of like, ah, oh, fuck, that you see in people's eyes when they kind of, you know, they've kind of settled down with the idea that they're stuck on this island, which we're all so glad to be here. <laughs> Is taking pictures that look English something that you're trying to do? Are you trying to have that English personality be part of your thing? Because it feels like culturally a lot of people are chasing, looking like they're shooting on the West Coast of America. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, genuinely, it, it wasn't really like a, a choice. Um, I think I think what happened was, so I was shooting, when I first started properly shooting on like a full frame DSLR, I was applying um, Visco. So because I'd used it on the mobile, I started applying it in desktop and I was using a Portra 160 and I just, it was just mad how the, it was something to do with the contrast and the tones. Um, I still can't really put my finger on it, but it just like looked right to me. And it was kind of this kind of like darker sort of gritty, grittiness. Um, so I'd, I'd already been doing it on digital and I think, when I switched to film, a combination of that and yeah, like you say, the weather, because um, I'm usually just shooting in like overcast or like a shadowy alleyway or something. Like obviously that's sort of the end result you end up getting. And I've, I've got to the point now where I sort of know what I want and I know how to go about that. Um, but it, it wasn't a, it wasn't an intentional choice really. Like it just felt right to me. Um, my images just started looking a certain way and I, I stuck with it and, yeah, that's the way they came out. I don't know if it's like a genuine British thing that we're all born with or yeah, like you say, the environment. Um, but I, to, to be completely honest, I do think that um, Britain's identity, uh, particularly in like the sort of like grime streetwear world has really like helped that in a way. I think people are dressed in a certain way and, you know, you could ask an American like that guy's wearing Air Maxes, like, where do you think he's from sort of thing? And like, I'd say that it's, you know, mostly part of like British identity. And I think that's mm -hmm. tied in particularly with like my images is that like, even the clothes people are wearing and stuff are just like, you can tell, you can identify them as being from London uh, in, you know, for, for most of my work, at least I'd say. I mean, you're quite a young guy by the sounds of it, even though I feel like all postmen should be like 70 years old when they're working. Um, you definitely sound like you're, uh, let's just get out of the way. How old are you out of interest? <laughs> um, I'm 28. All right. So you're 28, which is annoyingly young. <laughs> but when it comes to, this is the last question I'll ask. And then I promise I will talk about film because I imagine there's someone <laughs> that's just losing their shit listening to this. I haven't brought up film still, but a lot of the older generation as in, so I'm 32, I would say a lot of the photographers that were sort of starting out when I started out. I started out about 24 years old, 25 years old. A lot of the photographers that were starting out when I started out were very keen. If they were going to photograph people, they were going to photograph like pretty women. That was uh, it. Okay, yeah. 
the easiest thing to do is to photograph pretty women because it's like photographing a flower. Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, yep, there it is. That's, that, that's already an attractive thing. That, that'll do. That counts. The photography doesn't really factor in because you're photographing something that's just universally accepted as being, you know, pretty, I guess. And, um, I guess that takes out a lot of the challenge, but it also takes out a lot of the character that you can get because, um, you're, you're dismissing a large percentage of people based entirely on having something that is just in- incredibly one dimensionally attractive with yourself. And I'm noticing this more and more with, with, uh, younger generations. And it's super fun for me because I'm a big fan of portraits of character. I really like portraits that have like character. You can tell a little bit about the person. You photograph a lot of guys, or at least judging by your website, your personal work, your Instagram. Do you find like the challenge is different photographing men compared to women? And do you have a preference? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know when it happened. I think because of the way I came into it, sort of like through the streetwear world, um, that's obviously a massively sort of like male dominated scene. I mean, a lot of women have, you know, there are a lot of women knocking about there into it, but it was definitely heavily male. Um, so I naturally just started shooting men because they were like, they were the people replying to me uh, initially. So it started like that. But as time went on and I, I occasionally, I actually noticed um, a couple of years back that my portfolio was just massively male orientated. And I was like, shit, I didn't really make that. Like, there was an intentional choice. I mean, I, I definitely do intend to shoot like a diverse um, group of people, um, but mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily just males. Um, that bit just sort of happened by accident. But I, I started trying to like put some women in my work. Like I, I sort of sought out some uh, models and artists and stuff. And I was actually like really shocked how different it was. Um, I think it, they draw a massive, I just, I think it's not them personally, but I think the industry makes it seem like if you're going to shoot a woman, you like a hundred percent need a makeup artist and a stylist. Otherwise it's just going to look shit. Whereas right. like with a guy, um, I always felt like they could just turn up and whatever they're wearing. And like, I still get images I'm like really happy about. And the other thing was that the posing was completely different. I feel like women are, it's not that they're expecting it. And I don't know where this comes from. Like, I don't know if this is trickled down from like the modeling industry or, or something, but there's just this like huge emphasis on the poses they're doing. Um, and I just didn't like it. Like it felt, it just felt really unnatural to me to be telling someone to like, you know, like do some sort of like outrageous karma sutra position for this photograph <laughs> when like they're just not comfortable doing it. Like when I was with, when I'm photographing guys, if they're just like chilling there, we're having a super normal conversation about music or something. And I'm just like, I just see more of those moments where I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's it. You know? And I'm like, I'm getting what I need. And yeah, it kind of like, <laughs> in a sort of like sad way, it almost put me off shooting women. Like I don't really, I feel like they're obviously very well represented in the industry already. You know, you can just go into any supermarket and look at the magazine aisle and like, I, I guarantee aside from maybe Brad Pitt, like most of the covers are going to be like a Kardashian of some description. And I just feel like I'm way better representing men and like diverse men, you know, I just, I get a lot more out of that and it just, it genuinely feels like my avenue. I mean, one, uh, do you know what? I have to go to film because I said I would. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to what I'm going to talk about, but 
Let's get to film for that one guy that's losing his shit because I haven't gone to it after saying I would. Um, so you went from an iPhone to a DSLR to the the Fuji X100 and then eventually onto the 6D. That's where we were in your camera journey. What was what was the next step into film? How did that come about? I sort of I realized one day that I'm applying these film presets to like everything. And I'd been to the Stephen Shaw exhibition and I knew he was shooting on large format and the tones were just outrageous. The depth was mad. And I was like, it's just unlike anything I've seen. So I started, I think around 2016, 17, I started following like more and more film photographers. And I think it started off as like people shooting 35 mil. And I just, I really quickly realized there was this like look and I knew I wanted it, but I didn't really know how. And so I was still living in Finland and I, I messaged someone, my brother or sister, who was still back at my family home because I, I had this like inkling in my head that there was a film camera just sat in a drawer somewhere mm-hmm. because uh, a friend of my brother had given it to my sister because she was studying photography at college and it had literally never been used. And it was a Canon AE1. And I'd just seen that that was a really good starter camera for someone getting into film. So I checked with them if it was still there and they were like, yeah, yeah, still here. So the next time I visited for Christmas, I remember I just took the camera, um, put a new battery in it because I wasn't 100% sure the meter was going to work and flew back to Finland and shot like two rolls. And they were, they were shit to put it frankly. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they like, the look was there and I was like, yeah, this like the colors and the tones and the grain and like the way it handled light and stuff. I was just like, I'm definitely on the right track. So like, if I don't just, if I don't sack it in like now, then I'll just see it through and see how it goes. So I was still shooting with the 6D and the 35 mil just sort of came along when I was just like going out and stuff and just like seeing friends. And eventually because I'd been following more and more Instagram film photographers and I'd also found negative feedback, the YouTube channel. Yeah. And yeah. So those two things sort of coincided and I spotted medium format and I think ID magazine did like a um, next gen photographers video with Olivia Rose in it. And I noticed that like a couple of them were shooting on the Mamiya and I thought that's definitely an option sort of thing. And a little bit later, I think on negative feedback, he did a review of a Pentax 6.7 and those just seemed like the two to go for. So I just sort of like kept mulling over in my head and I ended up moving back to England that year. Uh, and I was just like, do you know what? I'm just going to switch. But like, I knew, I knew then that I'd never be going back almost. I just, mm-hmm. it just, it all led to that, you know, like I was at the point where like everything I saw on my feed was shot on medium format. And I just, I knew it was the way to go. So I just, I bought uh, a Mami on eBay from Japan and literally never ripped a box open quicker in my life and <laughs> a roll in it and shot my friend uh, just around our local area. And I remember just being like, this is it. Like I just knew straight away. I was like, this is literally what I've been looking for. Uh, it was just like spot on. And I just knew that I was just going to stick at it regardless of sort of like financial cost. Any immediate problems from obviously switching to digital where you've got infinite frames and the the scope to to reshoot stuff over and over? Did you find any immediate issues um, switching over to film? Funnily enough, it, it was funny because all the time I used to shoot with the 6D, um, people used to be like, 
oh, like, can I have a look at the photos? And they're like, oh, you've only taken like 50. And I'm like, yeah, because like, <laughs> I know what I want. Like I turn up to the shoot and like, I know the compositions I want. And I, although I had unlimited space on the SD card, I was like, what's the point? Like, I'm just, when I sit down at Lightroom, I'm going to be picking apart 200 photos and I could have been looking through like 60, 70, you know? So yeah, I just always shot like that. I barely shot any. I actually, I'm annoyed at myself because in those early days with like the X100 and stuff, you know, like I'm in Amsterdam. And I've probably taken like 10 to 20 photos over a weekend. And so like now when I look back on like for photos, for memories, um, there's not even that much there because I was just so picky. Like I'd just stare at a scene for 10 minutes and be like, no, I don't really want the photo and just carry on. So it was actually pretty seamless, like that part of it. Uh, I think technically there are a few hurdles. I mean, like pulling out dark slides and remembering to advance the film, stuff like that. Um, But And like even the inverse mirror on the Mamiya, was like a bit jarring at first, but I was like, because I'd seen all the work people were creating with it, it just wasn't even a question. I was just like, I'm going to learn how to use it. I, like, I don't care how difficult it is because the images at the end are just like outrageous to me. So uh, yeah, that was kind of how it went. Well, I remember with the inverse mirror, I got a, a Bronica, a 645, and um, I didn't have a prism for the time being. And I was like, I want to take something that's portrait orientated. And I remember just trying to figure shit out, turning the camera on its side and then trying to like reverse it in my head and also reverse the up and down as well as the left and right. And I just gave myself (laughs) a migraine and gave up and went back to doing what I was doing. Immediately go on eBay and buy a prism to save myself the trouble. Uh, One thing about your work that that does jump out to me and, and I'm frantically double checking myself and I think I'm correct here is that you don't seem to be a black and white guy. So, um, I guess the question is why do you hate black and white? Wow, I never, I never foresaw this coming up. Actually, um, so I've shot like I've shot a few rolls of like HB five, um, and they were all great. But it's just, I feel like some people do it so well, and I've got a lot of respect for them. But I just, it doesn't give me what I want. Like the the film tones, like the color palette and stuff is like the reason I shoot it. And it's the reason I shoot Kodak, you know, like the warmth you get in the skin tones and stuff is just like absolutely spot on. Like it's exactly what I want to have an image, you know, and I shoot black and white. And then I've usually also shot color on the same shoot. And I'm just like, there's genuinely no contest. Like, yeah, like I have shot some nice black and white photographs, but like I'd never print them or like, put them in my portfolio or anything I just I don't I don't want to say they feel dead to me but that's kind of the vibe I get <laughs> they just they okay. I'm just like I don't know like they are arty don't get me wrong like I, I totally get it I've seen some like, incredible work but I just it's just not for me like it's just not how I'd want the image to look like I just always want that colour Something that a lot of people do on portrait shoots is that they kind of take headshots and and fucking hell, am I in this camp completely? They'll take like headshot, what I would call a dandruff, which is like a head and shoulder, a half body, a three quarter length or a full length, whatever. They'll do some mix of those um, and then they call it a day. Whereas with you, I notice and something that I really enjoy and I feel like this must come from the fashion background, like the interest in, in that fashion culture is you do a lot of insert shots of like little details, shots of tattoos um, and things like that. Is, is it important for you when you're doing, I guess it must be more your personal work, but when you're working in general to kind of look for those little details on top of the obvious shots? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I never, it's probably a really bad habit, but I don't actually go into a shoot with like 
much of an idea of shots I want. Um, I usually like, I know I want a close up because like part of the Mamiya's appeal is that like those close shots you can get because of the bellows focusing. Um, yep. But yeah. And that also paves the way for like those sort of like detailed shots. And I just think that the camera lends itself so nicely to like being able to do that. Um, and it just, I just find it really adds to the story of someone, you know, like, cause I'm, I'm also really into tattoos myself and uh, I've been getting tattooed for like the last eight years and I'm all of my works, like traditional tattoos, which has like a really tight knit community. Um, there's obviously a theme running here, like me jumping into all these like tight communities. Um, but it means that like, I, I know how much my tattoos mean to me and like, um, how much I care about the art form. And I feel like if someone else has like chosen a tattoo, you know, even if they've only got one, um, it, it's a huge decision, you know, and it, it probably has like quite a lot of importance to them. Um, and it's the same with fashion and jewelry. I think people, people heading out, you know, whether they're just going to grab a loaf of bread or something, everyone sort of like cares how they look to some degree or like most people at least. And I feel like if my photographs aren't just, capturing because you know you can get a lot out of someone's facial expressions and stuff like that but like if i can add another string to that bow you know and like tell their story even more then like i'll I'll definitely aim to do that so with the shoots that you've done so far and i'm trying to remember the timeline here but you've been interested in photography i guess for about nine years yeah yeah around that yeah with the shoots that you've done so far have you encountered any particularly big like hurdles to overcome maybe subjects that it just wasn't happening with or ideas that just didn't work out. And, and with those, with those issues coming up, how have you kind of got through them? Yeah. So it's happened a few times, I think. Um, sometimes it's just something stupid and technical. Um, so like recently I always just, I go through summer and I'm like having a blast just shooting photos. I literally don't think about the process at all. I literally just turn up with a camera that does its bit and I'm just like getting to know someone usually. Um, but then as it starts to get darker and the weather starts to get awful, I kind of forget that you have to compensate so much. And I was on a shoot not too long ago and I always just seem to think I can hold the mammy at pretty much any shutter speed and nothing bad <laughs> will happen. And it was like overcast and slightly raining. And I was like, can I shoot lower than 90? Like potentially like obviously the mirror is huge and I definitely can't, but for some reason in the moment, I'm just so full of my own importance that I just think I can. And then surprise, surprise, I get it back and like, I've basically got three rolls of like not quite sharp photos. Um, so stuff like that's really annoying because I'm like, come on, like how long have I been doing this? And I'm honestly still like getting blurry photos. Like it just feels, you know, so stupid, but it's funny actually, cause I've, I've got a, um, I've got a YouTube channel that's barely got any videos on it. Um, but one of them is me in Brighton doing a film test. And uh, I remember just feeling awful because I went there with my mate and he's got all his like rigs set up to film me. And we got there for golden hour and the sun just like was completely covered by cloud when we got there. And I was like, <laughs> great. But that's just how it goes. Like we still made the video and in the video I'm talking about like, you know, the good and the bad. And I think that is, that is super important um, to sort of like acknowledge when things haven't gone that well. And like, you just, you just got to put it behind you at the end of the day. Like I could lie in bed forever thinking about how slow that shutter was, but at the end of the day, all I can actually do is like when I go out on a shoot and it's like overcast again, I just remember like, I can't do that, you know? So I don't know, shit happens and you just sort of like got to roll with it, haven't you really? 
one thing I've learned from doing this for a while now is that a lot of people, I think quite similarly to me, and I don't know if I'm just projecting my thoughts onto everybody else, but I quite often don't actually use photography as inspiration for photography. I'm quite inspired by movies. Um, cinematography I find a lot more interesting because I feel like there's a lot of great photos in between the key shots. And um, I feel like when you're framing for motion, there's a lot more interest in the way that you do it compared to um, with stills. When you know it's for stills, you can be a little bit sucked in by going for the most formulaic, contrived, like you were mentioning earlier about posing people. It could start to feel rigid, whereas when you're obviously setting up for motion, you get a lot more interesting dynamics in the way that stuff is shot. Do you look outside of photography very often for inspiration in what you do? Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird one because um, whenever I've heard this question come up before with people, like so many people say uh, cinematography and I completely get it. Obviously it's like the most direct um, comparison, I guess, to, to photography. Um, but I don't, I don't remember it being like a much of a trigger, like fit films are weird for me. I, I sit down and just sort of like get lost in the world and I'm never thinking about the technical aspects or even like shots and stuff like that. It's really, it's mm -hmm. really odd one. Um, so I haven't had much um, movie related inspiration. I don't think, um, I think, I think music is probably where most of mine stems from. Um, just been massively into music for as long as I can remember. And I think obviously music itself doesn't really have a, like it can't have a visual attachment, but I think maybe like through music videos and like promotional, uh, photographs and stuff like that, it's sort of like come through in some way. Uh, there was, there's a photo book called contact high that came out a few years ago and it's basically like. American hip hop contact sheets from like the nineties and eighties and so on. And I think stuff like that inspires me like way more than anything else. And there was, um, there's an image of Tupac by, uh, Danny Clinch. And it's probably like potentially my favorite portrait of all time. Hilariously, I think it might be black and white after all I've just said. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it's just like, it's almost biblical to me, like that image. Like it genuinely, obviously as time goes on and the, the world changes around us, like images change their meaning and stuff. And uh, yeah, those images, like there's like Narciss album cover and stuff. And it's just like, it all just feels so raw to me, you know? And it, like some of them have stories attached to them where they only had like 10 minutes with an artist to shoot them. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's just, that's always the world that's appealed to me. You know, like I want to be that guy that like, say like Stormzy comes out of a gig and he's literally got five minutes and I just shoot like five pictures of him. Like that's just so like appealing to me for some reason. I just love the like spontaneity of it and, and how like the industry changes and the photography, the meaning of the photographs change. So, um, yeah, I'd say like photography in music is probably like where most of my information inspiration comes from. If I could ask a really stupid question, but kind of going down this channel here a little bit, We've obviously, like you've just said, images of Tupac or Nas or whoever. Is it the case that if you look at your work now, if you were to, and I'm not dismissing the people that you have photographed, but in some cases, if you, if the person you were photographing was of a higher status within that community, would that make that photo better to you? That's a really interesting point because I don't think so necessarily, but it's a tough one because I think like, even if I got the chance to shoot someone that, you know, I'm really enjoy the music of, 
I could still absolutely fluff it. And I think I wouldn't really like the images that much. So I don't think, cause it, cause it has happened. Like I've shot, um, I've shot a couple of things for like, like of artists and I'm like, God, they're just really average. Like I'm not that into them. And I feel like the same thing could happen, you know, like given that opportunity and yeah, so I, I don't know. It's a tough one, but then I think usually, I think usually what happens is that the team behind the photos is like really strong for a photo shoot, you know, of, of like a celebrity of some description. And I think that's what makes the photo so special. I think it could have actually been of anyone, but like, because the team is so strong, you know, like they've got incredible photographer, makeup artists, stylists, and like whoever else doing whatever else. Um, those shoots always come out like really nice. Um, I think slow tie is probably quite a good um, reference in that regard. His music videos and his photographs are just like so spot on to me, but I think it comes down to the team. I don't think it's like, he's obviously a really like eccentric character, but I think the team are, you know, essentially what makes those photos so nice. Well, it's just something I've seen quite a lot where you get, um, there was a criticism years ago and obviously it's probably the lowest level of criticism for the guy, but, People used to say about Terry Richardson's work that it was like incredibly flat and incredibly easily, easily lit. And basically it was the status of the person he was photographing because it's like white wall flash on camera. So when he's photographing Miley Cyrus or Rihanna or you know Obama, it's just the same photo over and over again. There's no dynamics to it other than the status of the person in the photo. And I do feel like there are some photographers that have been uh, gifted, I guess, in not having to try particularly hard because of the status of the people that they're photographing. And it makes me wonder how much that status would leverage into if you were to pull, you know, person who's not in that situation and give them the opportunity, someone like yourself, who's not in the opportunity to go and photograph, you know, um, a Rihanna or whoever, if you were to suddenly get that person to photograph, would people suddenly see your photography in a different way just because of the status of the person in it? Because there's an image on on your website on the work page, which is a fellow with amazing freckles. And um, it's definitely got that really cool, what I would call like bellows depth, like what you were referring to earlier. The angle of the shot's great. It's got kind of an overcast summer look to it. I just think it's a phenomenal image. Um, And I feel like there are some people that if that was just someone that was famous, all of a sudden they would see that as being a better photo, even though it doesn't need that to be a better photo for all of what it is as a photo. It doesn't need the status to change to improve the quality of the photo. But for some people, apparently it does. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that is the general um, opinion of the mainstream audience almost like it's kind of like what the world's become, I guess. Everyone's sort of like sheepishly following celebrities for whatever reason. And I think like, yeah, like Terry Richardson is a great example. I think, there's a guy called Gunnar Stahl. I don't know if you know him. I don't even know if that's how his name's pronounced, but he's a, he's a young American photographer and he's basically just the next generation Terry Richardson. He just has a 35 mil point and shoot and he just point and shoots at rappers at like parties he's at. And uh, he's made a book and like, he's done like super well, but like I, I bought his book and I remember flicking through it just thinking like, not only could I have taken these, but I'm pretty sure like my mum could have taken them. Like the, the <laughs> composition was just like really forgettable. But the thing is there is an audience for that because like it feels, it feels in the moment still, like you can't deny that, you know, like you feel like you're at this party with these rappers and it's like, 
a cool vibe, you know, like a lot of kids are chasing that now, like on their Instagram with like filters and stuff to have this sort of like point and shoot flash in the face look. Um, but yeah, so it's a really, it's a really interesting point. I think like personally you could make an incredible image with anyone that, you know, isn't famous, but just has a super unique look. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like it's a genuine problem. I think that is quite a big problem for people like portrait photographers trying to, you know, make it in the mainstream world because like there's, there's people that I think are like quite average that are like absolutely huge. And it's just because they've just got this incredible like connection, like it obviously snowballed and, you know, they've shot like huge celebrities one after the other and they've just become the go-to guy. But it's like, why though? Like, you know, yeah. a lot of them are just sort of like, sort of like chest up on a white background with a softbox. Like it's extremely basic setup, but it's like, because someone told someone that they're the go-to guy, they're still like, you know, reaping the rewards. And yeah, it is a really, really interesting concept to be fair. Well, the podcast I had back on Christmas Day was with a photographer called Benjo Arwas and he shoots like super high-end A-list celebrities for magazine covers and for their promo material and everything. He, he's like really like top of the food chain, but he's always striving to try something new, try something experimental, put some more substance into what he does. Yeah. I'm sure you're not a fan of Ricky Martin's music, but um, he did a photo shoot with Ricky Martin for a magazine cover that's just come out. And he wasn't allowed on the premises with Ricky Martin because of COVID rules where they were. So he was having to shoot from the roof (laughs) of the building down at Ricky Martin. And he found all of these awesome ways of integrating that into the concept and integrating that into the images. And then, like you say, you see someone else who literally almost takes a picture without looking and because the person in there is high end, it's something that I think is actually quite interesting with England because we have an abundance of pointless celebrities here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You see so many pictures of them and they're all so generic looking. There's no, there's, there's no personality to their faces. They're just like, yeah, they're, they're kind of symmetrical. They'll do. And that's what <laughs> ends up happening is they become a celebrity because of like ITV and BBC, which can collectively both fuck off and we end up with this just truckload of people that have no personality in their face or in their body or in in, or at all and all the photos of them are all just kind of clean and commercial and boring and people still sort of go nuts over them because it's a famous person it drives me a bit mad it's it's something that it's way too much of a crutch especially considering everybody thinks they're famous now i don't think being famous should be special anymore um, that's my rant out of the way. Let's get back to you. <laughs> With regards to yourself, are you quite goal orientated? Like, do you set yourself like, I don't know, like a, in a year's time, I want to have done X, Y, and Z, or, you know, you said you don't go in with like shot lists, but are you goal orientated when it comes to shoots? How do you go about kind of improving yourself? It's it's a bit of a weird one. Cause obviously when I started and I decided I, w- I didn't want to do like events and sort of the run of the mill, like breadwinner work, um, it's meant that my goals are very different, I think, because because I'm still studying design and I've just got a part-time job on the side. Photography's become this sort of like weird um, side hustle for me where like I'm not actually that bothered if I make any money. And it's just, I'd probably call it like a serious hobby, you know, like if if I get anywhere with it and I can turn it into my full-time job, I've, I fully will because it brings me so much joy. Um, but like goal-wise, I usually leave it super open. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, like 2020, I definitely had like 
some goals. You know, I didn't really want to just sit in my house for a year. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's annoying because I, I definitely try and flush out my personal work uh, because the other stuff might come through, you know, like uh, works for work for clients. And like, if I feel like doing a test shoot or like working with an agency or s- something like that, like that, that will come through. Someone will just like knock on the door one day um, or I can chase it. Um, but the personal work is like, I feel like that's sort of like defining, it's like you're defining work as a photographer and it's like quite important to keep sort of chasing it. And I've mm-hmm. had two concepts over the last couple of years. And I think, the only thing goal wise I do is like try and just like add to them a little bit because I, I fully accepted at the start that the, those two bodies of work are going to take me years to fully finish. Um, and like, you know, the, the motive behind them changes every so often and you know, the final product will be like probably completely different to how it started. But like, I definitely head in like head into a new year with uh, the intention to like add to the personal work or at least sort of like, do some of the planning or something and then like when the year's done and I look back and I'm like if I didn't get any sort of like commercial work per se then at least I've like done a lot towards my personal work you know um but as a goal for like going into an individual shoot um I don't know what it is like I know when I'm done though like right I get to a point where like you know I'm like five or six rolls in and like I'll know when I've got what I wanted and sometimes I don't even know why, but like it just, it's just a feeling. I don't know if you have the same thing, but I just, it's funny because it, it reminds me a lot of, um, cause I, I also played drums, uh, for a band, which is something I've picked up loads in 2020 because photography just did a fat belly flop. Um, and it, it's really similar because I like can't read any music and I'm a drummer. So it's like, I, I don't really, I don't count time. I just keep it. And it's like a feeling and photography for yeah. me is like the exact same thing. Like I just, I enter a zone with a person that I want to photograph and it's like, you know, like things just flash by almost like some weird like fight club scene. And then I'm just like, I'm done. And <laughs> the images come back and I'm like usually happy, but it's weird. It's like a, it's kind of like a weird experience for me. You know, it's like, I guess it's kind of like how anyone does anything, like how a footballer goes out to a, play on a pitch or whatever you know it's like it's just sort of like I, I do it very instinctively I guess that's what I'm saying well it's kind of like when I mean you talk about learning an instrument it's when I when I used to play guitar um a lot more seriously it's like when you first start you're really focusing on everything that you're doing and that's actually really counterproductive in the end because what happens is you become reliant on like your your primary consciousness to to guide everything that you're doing with your muscles and then as you get more and more comfortable and, and as you, at what feels like you start developing bad habits, you actually develop the ability to play without thinking about it. And that's actually where you start to go through gears quite quickly. If, where you start playing with instinct, like you said, you start to kind yeah, of feel exactly time it. rather than count it. Um, and with a camera, it can definitely go that way. I feel like um, a lot of people focus really hard on the camera and not what's in front of it. And I think that yeah. holds them back because it's keeping the camera as the primary focus. And when, the camera is the primary focus. It means you're having to rely on instincts for everyone, everything else involved. And really it should be the other way around. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I will wrap up because I'm sure you've got better things to do than listen to me, but uh, (laughs) two questions left. I do like to ask these every so often because I find like self-evaluation to be interesting. I think human beings are fascinating because we either 
seem to love ourselves so much that we're incapable of thinking we're doing anything wrong ever, or we hate ourselves so much that we think we can never do anything right. So (laughs) it never seems to be like kind of sane people in between, which is somewhat reassuring and terrifying at the same time. (laughs) When it comes to like judging your own work, do you have like a system of, or a group of people that you would send your work to and sort of get them to give you feedback on? Because I feel like maybe general feedback from somewhere like Instagram is, is a minefield of people saying something is the world's greatest thing ever, or does it's just total shit and there's not much in between. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think, um, I'm definitely my main critic, which is probably not the greatest way to be. Uh, but I'm quite lucky actually, because on Instagram, there's like probably like three to five people that, um, I'm in like quite good contact with. And I know that if I sent them some work, they'd give me like a really nice, honest review on it. Um, but aside from that, it's difficult because like I don't, I actually have this problem uh, on like a more broad scale where a lot of my friends that I still see that I go to school with, I don't necessarily have like a huge amount in common with them. Like I, I love them as people, but um, I wouldn't be able to send them work because like, I know they just say it's great. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same with my family. Um, so it is a tough one. I don't really have that many people that I could, you know, get some critique off that was like really genuine and like might actually, you know, make me question a few things about my work. Um, so yeah, it would be actually really beneficial. Um, if the problem with the, I think that this stems to the problem with like the photography community is like, it would be really nice if like people stuck together a bit more, you know, like I, I keep seeing like discords pop up and stuff during lockdowns and stuff, but like they're usually attached to an individual and it's like, mm-hmm. so I can't tell if they're doing it just to get more clout or not. And it's like really awkward because like, it's a great idea, but like, I don't really want to feed into their ego. Like I don't want them to be posting work and like, everyone's like, Oh, it's so good. Cause obviously no one, I don't know about you, but I don't get that many comments on Instagram um, about my own work unless it like really sort of blows up and the algorithm decides to like actually be decent for once. Um, Yeah. But even then it's usually good, you know, and I don't know if that's like good for you, but it's like, I've always had, I've always just been super harsh on myself even since the beginning, you know, and like, I think that's usually what pushes most photographers to like get to a certain level because you're like, you can look back every year, you know, if you just come to the end of the year and you just flick through what you made this year compared to last year, like if it's better, you can tell, you know, and I think that's usually what I go by is that like, is the work I'm creating now like better than two years ago? And if the answer is yeah, then I guess I'd just crack on, you know, and like, I don't give it too much thought in that respect. Well, I came to the scary realization this year from ridiculous amount of time we've had to spend penned in from looking through old hard drives of old stuff is that I kind of seem to have really found my rhythm in about 2017, 2018. And then 2019, I kind of started to fade out a little bit and 2020, I've not done much. So I've had the kind of dramatic realization that about two years ago, I was significantly better as a photographer than I feel like I am right now. But I suppose everyone's probably feeling like that, having not been able to go out and kind of flex um, their creative muscles, so to speak. Um, Last question, and then I'll let you shoot. Something that's kind of, uh, I guess it's kind of a trick question in a way. Sorry for that. Um, but at least I'm telling <laughs> you up front. <laughs> when you look back at the the nine years since you first sort of took an interest in photography to where you are now, what would you have done differently, kind of get you through the gears a bit quicker or to improve 
whatever or to avoid something that you didn't enjoy, what would you change? Um, that's a great question. I think like, because I've been entirely self-taught, um, there were a lot of gaps at the start. I mean, I pretty much just bought a DSLR, Googled the exposure triangle and was just like, yeah, everything else will sort itself out. But it wasn't till like, you know, three, four years later that I started realizing the importance of like lighting and composition. And I think it was then that I like, you know, things started really getting better and better and then film just slotted into that. And it was just sort of yeah, like snowballing. Um, so yeah, probably in the, in the early days, I probably would have looked for more inspiration from like actual photographers. Um, because like now where I'm currently at, I, I buy prints and books like quite regularly because I just get so much out of them. Um, from, especially from people in the UK, you know, it's like really nice to see, um, work being created, um, that's so close to home. And I just think if, if I could go back in time and just give like 20 year old or like 19 year old me, a, you know, any sort of like decent book, probably Stephen Shaw to start off. Um, I think that would have accelerated things really quickly, but in the same vein of me quitting my job and picking a degree and stuff, I just think like life just goes like that sometimes, you know, like I don't, I don't ponder on it too much. Um, I'm like really pleased with where I've got to currently. And it's funny actually, cause I think 2019 was probably my peak. So it's been like a long fall off, you know, through 2020. Cause I'm like, I was, I was itching to make new stuff and I just haven't really had the opportunities and like 21's rolled around and we still don't really see the end of it. You know, it still feels a bit like eh, maybe. So yeah, it has been a, a difficult, a difficult time. Um, but I don't know. Things, things will get better. <laughs> That's the most British way that could be said. I don't know. <laughs> things will get better, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're the only person. So this is episode, I have to always check. This is episode 137. Um, in all that time, you're the only person that's asked me before we started why it is that I do the podcast, which is kind of kind of cool, actually. It's, nice to, it's a nice question to be asked. The reason I do the podcast uh, primarily is to, to make other people like work that I like so that then there will be more of it and I will eventually become a human algorithm and force everyone to like what I like and then the world will be entirely tailored to my suiting. And it's not about ego at all. It's just I always want what I want and, and I throw a tantrum if I don't get it. So uh, this is the part where we tell as many people as possible where they can go to find your work, where they can... Obviously, you mentioned there's a YouTube channel, you've got your website, your Instagram. So where's the best place for people to find you? Um, so is at james.parrot on Instagram and jamesparrot.co.uk. And then if you just whack James Parrot in YouTube, I should come up. I have a shocking amount of content. So I'm, I'm <laughs> apologizing in advance. It's literally only three videos. That was another thing in 2020 that I was supposed to get onto, but it just didn't happen. It's been great talking to you, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time. Angie, thank you very much for having me. Nowadays, nothing really excites me. Only one of me and nobody's like me. Phone ringing and I tell him it's icy. I got wifey on, blinging she icy. Freeze, freeze, photo, photo. Please, please, no photos. No, no, jeez, jeez, no, no, no. Please, no photos. Hit the door and the dome and just whole team here, money some. Still young, but I move like a Veteran. new deal to my lawyer. If you're down in my management, I'm just warming up a way to lie. Old producer saw the numbers one. Settlement. Different colors in my baggy life. Chalk it up, talk of the town where you're talking up. Wanna get you a ring and you tough enough. Wanna get you new things with your pockets dull. Run it up. I used to be quiet and out of luck. Now I move up and move humble cause. They hate and the jealousy. My mama telling me, count up your blessings and run it up. Nowadays, nothing really is.
ice cream. Only one of me and nobody like me. Phone ringing and I tell him it's ice. I got wifey on bling and she ice. Freeze, freeze, photo, photo. Please, no photos, no, no. Jeez, no, no, no. Please, no photos. I keep giving game away. I put game on layaway. I got paid to play today. I get paid to stay away. I get paid on rainy days. I might make it rain today. I got paid off pain today. Thought it take the pain away. In my own lane, finger roll. Never sell my only soul Heard your whole team was for sale Heard it's on the market for the low Who the realest we might never know All this acting you gon' play a role Give you the world when they sign you up Try you out and then they line you up Ooh. Now you're looking hungry Ribs are touching, need some food Now you're all on live acting surprised But you was fooled Boy get out the way, it's been a day Now you're old news Now you got the pen and pad You're trying to take my move Nowadays, nothing really is ice cream. Only one of me and nobody's like me. Phone ringing and I tell him it's ice. I got wifey on bling and she ice. Freeze, freeze, photo, photo. Please, please, no photos. No, no, jeez, no, no, no. Please, no photos. Nowadays, nothing really is ice cream. Only one of me and nobody's like me. Phone ringing and I tell him it's ice. I got wifey on bling and she ice.